I wonder if you ever try and put on an act on Sunday morning. Do you ever try and put on that forced smile? Cover up the cracks in our relationships. Hide our bad habits and struggles. And act as if everything is great in our walk with the Lord. Is that what church is meant to be about? Are we here to pretend that we are God's holy people? Before we go back to our everyday lives and go back to the being real again. Well, this morning we're going to look at an incident in the book of Acts that shows us that God wants us to be different. That he wants our church to be a candid community, a place where people are honest and authentic and real. We're going to read from Acts chapter 5, first of all. Acts chapter 5, and verse 1 down to verse 11. If you have a Bible, you can have a look at it. If not, just listen on as I read it out to you. Acts chapter 5 and verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some money of the, some of the money you have received from the, from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all those, all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, this is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. In that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. In many ways, this isn't a nice or an immediately encouraging passage of Scripture to read. If we were writing the book of Acts, we might have been tempted to miss out this incident. It's a dark day in the life of the early church. Up to this point, the church had experienced amazing growth and amazing success. At Pentecost, the church grew by 3,000 people. Then after the healing of the crippled man, the number of apostles, the number grew to about 5,000. Which is amazing considering that the population of Jerusalem at that time has been estimated to be somewhere around 25 to 85,000 people. So 5,000 is a great, an amazing proportion of that city had become followers of Jesus. 
And even after the arrest, interrogation and threats made to Peter and John, the church continued to stand firm and share the amazing gospel of Christ. Last week we read that with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them. But Luke believed that we needed to have a candid description of the early church. He wanted us to see what this church was really like. The commitment, the compassion, the courage, the care, but also the problems and the difficulties that were present. So even although this is a difficult and a disturbing passage, it's really important that we don't skip over it. Or that we try and kind of reinterpret it into something that's a bit more acceptable. God has put it in our scriptures to teach us something really important. So what was going on here? What is this all about? Well, last week we saw that this church cared for each other so much that they shared what they had with those who were in need. In fact, they loved each other so much that now and again, some of them voluntarily sold property. So they would have enough money to support other people who were in need. One of those who did this was a man called Joseph. Joseph, Acts 4.36 says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. They gave it to the apostles so that the apostles would then distribute it to others. Joseph was nicknamed Barnabas, as we read, because he was such an encouragement to everybody. And when he gave this huge gift, because of his love, he'd be an amazing, encouraging example of genuine care and generous giving. What an impact that would have on people's hearts. But not everybody who noticed this amazing act of generosity in the church responded in a good way. Not everybody. As we read in verse 1 of chapter 5, Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. This couple decided to do something similar to what Barnabas did. But with a crucial and ultimately deadly difference. Instead of giving all of the proceeds of the sale to the apostles to give to those in need, with his wife's agreement, he kept part back part of the money for himself. And he brought the rest to the apostles. Now we need to be really careful about what was going on here. In one sense, what Ananias did was perfectly okay. He didn't need to sell this land. And he was entitled to give away whatever percentage of the sale that he wanted. Peter made this clear to him in verse 4. He said, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? And I said, it was your choice. You could have done whatever you wanted with that land, with that money. But what this couple did that was wrong was that they lied to the Holy Spirit. 
they lied to the Holy Spirit about how much they were giving. They pretended that they were giving away the whole of the value of this land where they were only giving away part of it. And I think the reason is very obvious. They wanted to be seen the same as Barnabas. They wanted to credit the prestige of being generous and sacrificial givers. But they didn't want to pay the price of that generosity. They wanted a reputation that they didn't deserve. And they were willing to lie in order to get it. And so selling this property and bringing some of the money at the apostles' feet was just an act. It was nothing to do with relieving the suffering of the poor. Rather, it was just to boost their ego. It was completely motivated by pride. And so this couple were guilty of deceit and hypocrisy. They lied and they pretended to be something that were not. And for some reason they thought they could get away with it. Peter said to Sapphira, how could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? How could you agree to to put God to the test, to think that that God wouldn't see what you are doing? Or if God did see what you are doing, that he wouldn't be able to do anything about it. But God knew exactly what they were doing. And he revealed these actions to Peter. And it says, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. It wasn't Peter that did this. Peter didn't kill Ananias. This was God's judgment on Ananias. And three hours later, his wife suffered the same fate when she repeated the same lie. Now, I believe wholeheartedly that they didn't lose their salvation. I think the Bible is absolutely clear that when someone trusts in Jesus, at that moment, they are given eternal life. Jesus promises, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. And to all who follow him, Jesus promised, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Like every follower of Jesus, when this couple died, they instantly went to be with the Lord. So they didn't lose their salvation, but they did lose their life. They lost out on the privilege of sharing the gospel with people. Of seeing people being brought into God's kingdom. Of playing a part in this church. Of worshipping and celebrating God. They lost out on the opportunity of serving God and honouring God with their lives. Now, of course, God doesn't usually respond to sin in this immediate way. But he did do something similar with Achan, a guy called Achan in the Old Testament, just after the, the people of Israel had entered into the promised land. If you read about that, that's in the book of of Joshua. 
And so perhaps this is something to do with this crucial time in the early life, in the, in the life of the early church. Just as, as, as the, this community was building up, God needed to deal with this sin so quickly. But it does also sh- show the seriousness of what Ananias and Sapphira did. This sin that they committed was deeply offensive to God. Peter said, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. You have not lied to men, but to God. Peter, saying this, emphasized the deity of the Holy Spirit, that he is God, equal with the Father and the Son. He also emphasized how wrong it was to lie to God. If, if Ananias and Sapphira were just lying to the church, that would be bad enough. But they were lying to God. And God is the God of truth. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And Jesus said of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so everything that God says is characterized by total honesty and integrity. We can trust him and his word completely because the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. And it's a wonderful tr- reality to celebrate that our God is a God of truth, that we can trust everything that he says. But it also means that dishonesty and deceit is a rejection of his character and God's moral standards. So the Lord detests lying lips. He delights in men who are truthful. And so the lie and the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira was deeply offensive to God. In pretending to be something that they were not and declaring things that were completely untrue, they were acting in a way that was completely contrary to God's character and totally incomparable was being part of God's holy people. And as we said, their motive for doing this was just pride. And the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. That's because our greatest responsibility is to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. It is to honour him as first in our lives. But pride? Well, that's about loving ourselves. And putting ourselves first. And seeking our own glory instead of God's. Ultimately, it's idolatry. Because we're taking the place of God. But their sin wasn't only a rejection of God. It was also an acceptance of the influence of Satan. Peter asked Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? This doesn't mean that they were possess- he was possessed by Satan. I don't believe that any true believer in Christ can be possessed by Satan. 
But it does mean that through their pride and through their deceit, they were following the way of Satan. Remember Peter being rebuked when he rebuked Jesus? For when, he was, when Jesus taught about the necessity of going to the cross? Jesus said to him, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. At that moment, Peter's words were not based on God's truth. Instead, he had listened to Satan's lies. And Ananias and Sapphira had done the same here. They were supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It should have been the Holy Spirit who impacted their hearts and influenced all of their decisions and all of their behaviour. But through pride they had chosen. They had chosen to allow Satan to have that influence on them. And as a result, they had allowed Satan to infiltrate the church. Satan, remember, had attacked from outside through the religious leaders, through the the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. Now he was attacking them from inside through Ananias and Sapphira. And this would have been extremely destructive to the church. It would have destroyed this fellowship. Because at the heart of our fellowship is our love for God and for each other. And love must be sincere. As Paul writes in Romans 12. The quality of the fellowship of this church was dependent on honesty and sincerity and truth. We'd also have robbed this church of their effectiveness. When Paul wrote about the sinfulness of the last days, he included attitudes that Ananias and Sapphira were guilty guilty of. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. And Paul said, as a result, they will be having a form of godliness, but denying its power. When people wander from the truth, what they are left with is just an empty and a dead religion. There is no power to save anybody. No power to transform communities. No power to change this world. But the sin of Ananias and Sapphira would also have destroyed the worship of this church. The Pharisees of Jesus' day were guilty of hypocrisy. Their worship was all for show and Jesus condemned them. He said, these people honour me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. And then he said this, they worship me in vain. That's how dangerous hypocrisy is. Without honesty, without sincerity, we cannot build true fellowship. We cannot share the life-changing power of the gospel. And we cannot worship God. We cannot be the church that God means us to be. So that's why God stepped in so dramatically and so immediately. 
The result of that was that great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. People inside and outside the church were so impacted by what happened that they deepened in their reverence and respect for God. And we need that same deep reverence for God. The God of truth. So that we will seek to be truthful and honest in every aspect of our lives. First of all, we need to be honest with ourselves. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. You need to see ourselves accurately. We need to be honest with ourselves about our faults and our failings, our limitations and our weaknesses. That's one side. But we also need to see ourselves as we really are, as children of God, loved by God, accepted by God, and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And if we really see ourselves as a child of God, then that gives us the security to face up to the reality of the faults and the failings in our lives. So we need to be honest with ourselves, first of all. And this will help us to be honest with others. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour. For we are all members of one body. We need to be honest about our struggles and and our difficulties, about our doubts, our weaknesses, our troubles that we go through. That doesn't mean that we need to go around telling everybody everything that goes on in our mind. That wouldn't be good for any of us, would it? It wouldn't be good for you and it wouldn't be good for me. But it does mean that we need to be real. We need to be authentic in who we are when we meet together. We need to avoid saying things that aren't true. We need to avoid pretending to be something we are not. Avoid talking up our Christian lives more than they really are. We need to try and help people to see us as we really are. <clears throat> Why? Well, because we long for genuine relationship. We want to be genuinely loved. And that requires that people genuinely know us, not a pretend us. And lastly, and most importantly, we need to be honest with God. God doesn't expect us to be a community of perfect people. Thankfully, eh? Because none of us would be here if that was the case. But He does want us to be real with Him. The message of the gospel is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So whoever we are, wherever we're from, whatever we have or haven't done, God loved us so much that he sent his son to the cross to die for us in agony and shame to pay for our sins. And so we can come to God and receive that wonderful forgiveness that we've been singing about this morning. That we've been brought into his family and live in relationship with him. But only, but only if we come exactly as we are. Only if we come honestly to God. James 4 and 6 says this. God opposes the proud, 
gives grace to the humble. If we stand before God in pride and try and cover up our sin, then God will see the pride and hypocrisy of our hearts and He will resist us. He will stand against us. He will ultimately, and we will ultimately face judgment. But if we humble ourselves before God, if we honestly admit our sinfulness and ask for His help through faith in Jesus, then God promises to give us all the grace that we need. Tragically, Ananias should have remembered this. Do you know what his name means, Ananias? Yahweh is gracious. The Lord is gracious. But he didn't experience that grace. He didn't live in that grace. Because he wasn't willing to be honest before God. So I pray that none of us will fall into that trap. I pray that we will be a candid community. That we will be honest with ourselves about the person that we really are. That we will be real with each other and grow into genuine relationships with each other. And that we will be humble before God. And that we will be able to continue to live in the grace and the power of God.